I was training with a personal trainer who just happened to be in ministry, and I hadn't been to church in 25 years. I had this really wonderful dialogue with him in a training session. He really pushed me to lean into God and ask God those big questions and let Him lead my path. It is so crazy how one conversation with my personal trainer has just absolutely changed and opened up my ability to explore my faith with Christ. Man, it's been a crazy journey from then. So I actually had a conversation with a football coach, um, and that really impacted my faith a lot. It made me realize that just because I go to church on Sunday doesn't mean my relationship with God is like already perfect, but I have to actually put in the work and like pray to Him and try to get closer to Him. This really challenged me to take my faith to a whole new level. So I had just graduated college, and uh, I was wanting to become a teacher. I was trying to figure out what was next with my life when a deaf ed teacher I was working with had encouraged me to take the certification to become an interpreter. And I was hesitant because I had taken interpreting in college and didn't like it. And I ended up signing up, taking my exam, and passing. And I've been interpreting ever since and now serve as the interpreter here at North with the deaf ministry. And I know had that conversation and encouragement not happened, I don't know where I would be. So I'm, I look back and I'm just so grateful for that conversation. Well, welcome to Gateway. My name is John Burke. Uh, I, I grew four inches over the week and got a tan. And God is good. Uh, for those of you who are new, that's a big joke that you're missing out on. Uh, my name is Carlos Ortiz. I am the campus pastor here on North Campus. And uh, if you're watching us online, so those are my people, right? They're supposed to do that. If you're watching online or one of our campuses, we're so glad that you are with us. We're in a really fun series, and we're going to have a good time uh, today. Uh, I don't know how this works at John when he speaks. He gets 35 minutes, and they told me, you only get 30 um, I'm just going to make it happen, right? Uh, but we really, we're in this series more than words and how appropriate because uh, we haven't sung the song yet. I know many of you who are maybe a little bit older like I am. I'm, I'm not older. I'm, I'm 43. I'm a perfect age, right? And, and, uh, but when I was a kid, there was that song, More Than Words by Extreme. And how many of you have sung that song when you see the words on the screen, more than words? And you like started holding your wife's hand or your significant other's hand. And you're like, we're in church. Stop it. Um, don't do that. But this week was Valentine's week, and so uh, it's a big week, so it's more than words, and hopefully you did something for your significant other. Some of you this morning are like, oh, that's why she hasn't talked to me for three days. <laughs> I forgot. Um, it's still the weekend you can make up for, right? Um, but my wife and I actually celebrate Valentine's on February 12th. Uh, we met on February 12th, 1999 in New Orleans, Louisiana during Mardi Gras. That's for another day. Um, yeah, that, it's a great, great story. And, and our romance was this whirlwind, right? Like we met February 12th of 99, and we got married March 18th of 2000. We got married 13 months after the first time we saw each other. Crazy. And we thought it was this great romance, and it was. It was pretty awesome, you know. And, and everybody was for it, and our parents were for it. Everybody's like, yes. And we were literally kids, it was in my early, early 20s. My wife was 19 years old. And everybody's like, yeah, just go for it. And we're like, okay, we're going to go for it. And a year later, we're at my one-year anniversary. We already have a child. We got pregnant like, on our honeymoon. And my wife is like, 
at the one-year anniversary table, she looks at me, and she's like, I'm not happy. I'm like, well, happy anniversary to you, too, babe. And we spent three years struggling through our marriage. And uh, we finally had the wherewithal to call somebody who was older than us, a mentor. And Gary Grogan changed our life. He was a pastor in Illinois, and he spent time with us. And he flew into Houston, which is where we were living at the time. And he just set, we, and we picked him up at the airport, and we took him in his hotel room, and we're sitting down, and he just took time to be with us. Just to not share his words, but he, he just took time to just initiate the conversation and, and to ask us questions and, and really listen intently as, as a spiritual father in our lives. And then he gave us some next steps. And, and, and here we are. Next month, we'll celebrate 20 years of being married when we didn't know we could get past year two. Because somebody took the time. Thank you. Somebody took the time to help us understand our function when all we could see was our dysfunction. And how many times do we get caught up with the issues of life, and then all of a sudden somebody comes and just helps us understand some of the great things that maybe God has put in us, the functional pieces of who we are, and now he forever has a place in our lives because of the words he used to impact our life. But it was more than his words, and that's the series we're in. More than words. And yes, we have to use our words when we're talking to people, and some of you have to tell your husband or your boyfriend that. Use your words, please. Like, like, you're, like you're helping your toddler husband or toddler boyfriend, like, can you please use your words? And I know you can use them because you're gaming online. You talk a million miles an hour, right? When you're watching football, you yell like crazy. But it comes to conversation and real-life interaction. It's like, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh, and it like goes down to a grunt and the Neanderthal comes out. I get it. I understand. But there are words that are important, but it's also more than our words. It's our life. The things that we put our hands to, the things that we endeavor to do. And so last week, John did a really great job starting the series talking about initiating conversations. And I know for some of us, it can be super scary. How do I initiate a conversation? We live in a world that is secluded and closed off, and we initiate conversations through a Facebook post. All right? But in real life, we have to interact with people. Maybe we don't have to because your whole life is you in your apartment and you work at home and you live at home and, and you, you order your groceries and they deliver them to you and everything's done through Amazon. And so you're like, this is great, except you actually don't ever have to interact with anybody, which is introvert heaven. But in real life, God prompts us to have these relationships. And so John talked to us about that, about initiating conversation. He talked about John 4, where Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman, and he brings dignity back to her life because of conversations. When I was in grad school, I was given an assignment one week. It was the easiest assignment I got in grad school. They said, this week, we want you to go to a drive-thru at least two times, which is easy enough when you're in grad school, right? We went through the drive-thru, and they said, but I, and when you go to the drive-thru, make eye contact with the person serving you. And say, hi, what's your name? I was like, well, that's easy. I'm an extrovert. This is going to be easy. First drive through, I'm like. And I didn't realize, I really don't see the person serving my food. I'm not really seeing them for who they are. I am interacting with them as a byproduct of what I want to accomplish. And that's my Big Mac. No onions. (laughs) Maybe some fries. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, you eat McDonald's? You know what? McDonald's is still in business because millions of people eat it. 
Nobody wants to acknowledge it, but it's in business because you leave your yoga class and you sneak in a cheeseburger. Don't shame me. I'm not going to go for that. Okay, I'm going to move on, right? That was a soapbox moment. Can you tell there was a soapbox moment? Uh, but really, as we're doing this, because it's initiative, as a city, we believe that God wants to do something just by asking people questions and having conversations with people. And, and we're giving books. There's 150 churches and organizations doing this. And John wrote the book, which I love. And it was funny because yesterday my daughter called me. She's like, did you know that John is kind of trending on the internet today? And I'm like, why? She goes, because Sadie Robertson posted about him. I'm like, Sadie who? But apparently she has millions of followers and she's reading Imagine Heaven and posted about it. I'm like, well, well, well. So I called John. I was like, John, do you know you're posting on the, on the internet? He's like, what's the internet? I'm, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but really, that's what it comes down to, is that people are having these conversations in their own way. And I know that can be difficult, but we feel like no matter where you are in life, that God is calling you to initiate relationships and conversations with people. And I know many of us in the room are still on this journey of faith, trying to figure things out. But do you know, and you're going to see later in the service, there are people in our church, a part of Gateway, who came to Gateway because of people who weren't believers yet. And that means all of us can have engaging conversations about spirituality and about who God is. Quick story about our initiative so far. So Vicki Langenfeld, who's part of our team here at North, she shared a story where she got the book and she gave it to her dad who's 91 years old who's, who doesn't believe in Jesus. So she followed up with him and uh, guess what happened? He actually read the book. She was so surprised. He's at a VA hospital. But it's more than that. He read the book, told somebody at the hospital, and the VA, VA hospital ordered a copy for every patient in the hospital. Watch, right? That's pretty amazing. But it started with one person who had a conversation not even confident that the person across from them would even receive the book. So we initiate conversations, but week two, we're really going to dive in here, is about guiding spiritual conversations. How do we guide spiritual conversations? And some of you are thinking, no way. You do not want me to guide anybody, right? Like, I, I'm here for the first time. I can't even believe I'm having an out-of-body experience even being at church or watching online or whatever campus you're watching from. You're like, there's no way you want me to guide people in spiritual conversations. And I'm telling you, yes, because we're going to make it palatable and easy. And what does it mean to be a guide spiritually? It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean you have to have a master's degree. It doesn't mean you have to know Jesus for 20 years. It means are you willing to just engage a person in a healthy conversation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're really going to really just encourage you what it means to have spiritual conversations in a very practical way. Because do you know that we can have spiritual conversations like any other conversation? I mean, some of us have no problem talking about The Bachelor with the people we don't even know. And you don't even know those people. We have no problem high-fiving people who are wearing the— I was wearing my—I'm a, a Michigan fan, forgive me. I'm a Michigan fan, and I was in the grocery store, and this girl came up running up to me. She goes, go blue! I was like, you scared me. I don't even know you. But the block M on my shirt gave her the confidence just to come up to me, a person she didn't know, and say, go blue. So we do this all the time. We high-five people at the stadium that we don't even know. 
We do all these things, and I wonder, can we just make our spiritual life part of an everyday conversation? We don't have to be weird about it. So we're going to follow Jesus again from John 4 last week to John chapter 5 this week. And here we go. Verse 1 through 9, we're going to read the entire passage and then break it down a little bit as Jesus gives an example to us of very practical relational conversations. Here we go. Verse 1. Sometime later, which is after chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 30 years. Eight years. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is being stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up. There's an exclamation point. Just get up. Are you kidding me? I've been doing this for 38 years, and you're telling me all I had to do was get up? And Jesus says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, picked up his mat, and he walked. How do we guide people in spiritual conversations? How is Jesus an example for us and how we can guide spiritual conversations. There's going to be four things. If you're taking notes, write them down. If you're not taking notes, write them down anyway, okay? So here we go. Four things. Number one, first, we follow God's promptings, which sounds super ethereal. Ooh, promptings. Is that like a, is that part of a seance? Is that like this psychic thing? No, it's if you really understand that God is with you, Everywhere you go, not just when you enter a church building or you watch online or you're in your life group or you're in your network, that God is with you. There are promptings that take place. And here we find Jesus at the pool of Bethesda and there's all sorts of people who are sick. He didn't go around healing every person. He stood back and evaluated and God prompted him to the person that he was supposed to interact with. And as that prompting took place, he began to interact with that person. And do we really understand that God is truly at work in people? That even before we try to have that conversation with somebody, God is already at work with people? John 6.44 says this. It's not going to be on the screens. I was just thinking about this this morning. John 6.44, it says that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit of God is already wooing them drawing them. So when God prompts us and puts something in our heart to have a conversation, we have to have confidence that God is already going before us and at work in the person, wooing them, talking to them, moving in them. I was at a restaurant this week and and I saw this lady, Miriam, and she had a little cross. And so I just asked her, I'm trying to do what you're doing. And I said, so are you a spiritual person? She goes, well, my husband thinks I'm a spiritual person. He thinks I'm a kook. He thinks I'm crazy. I said, well, Miriam, are you crazy? Because I don't know. I, I think I believe this. I'm not really sure. And I had my book on me and said, well, why, why don't you read this book? 
And, and I gave her the book, and she was, she was so excited. She was like, okay, and, and, and nothing happened. Now, nothing crazy happened. She didn't say, oh, I want to serve Jesus. I didn't even mention Jesus. Just gave her the book. But before I leave, she tracks me down. And she says, do you have another one? I said, why? She goes, I have this lady I work with, and I want to give her one. So I'm so sorry I don't have one. She turns around to the wait staff, because I'm in the back of the restaurant, and she says, this guy's telling me about Jesus. This guy's like telling me about Jesus. I'm telling you people, he's real. Jesus is real. And she's like showing the book, and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I didn't even say Jesus. But what does that tell us? That the Spirit of God was already doing something in her before I even mentioned the book. And when God prompts us, it's because he's saying, I've already taken the first step. I'm asking you to do the next step. That's the prompting that takes place. And it can really change people's lives. It can really impact the trajectory of people's lives. My favorite story about me personally where I was impacted, I was, I was a young pastor and I was in my office and I was really struggling. My wife and I were just having a hard time in ministry and what we were doing and, and the organization we were in and and we saw some good things happening, and I was just in my office like, God, I, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And I got a call from a girl named Nicolene McGee, a Jamaican woman who's super passionate. And she used to be a student of mine. And Nicolene said, Pastor Carlos, I can't, I'm not even going to try to do the accent. Or I'm not even going to try the accent. Because Pastor Carlos, I was praying for you this morning, and God told me to do something. And when somebody tells you that, you're like, okay, God told you to do something. So what are you going to do? And she started singing over the phone. And it was really loud, so I went like this at first. And I brought it back. And she's a beautiful voice, and, and she began to sing, uh, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching. And it was so beautiful. And before she was done, there were just tears on my desk. God knew what I needed in that moment. And I could not supply my own need. But Nicolene McGee, a Jamaican woman in Minnesota, was praying for me and called me and infused hope. And that's what happens when we initiate conversations and we follow God's promptings. Very truly, I tell you, verse 19 to 20 says this, The Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So in this season of prayer, in this season of what's after life, can we say, God, I am open to your promptings, and it might be crazy, and it might be a little weird, but if you're already going before me, and you've already done the first step, then God, I'm willing to take the next step. So we follow God's promptings. It's the first thing Jesus modeled for us. The second thing he modeled for us is this. We need to ask questions. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Such a weird question to ask somebody who's sick. Do you want to get well? But Jesus had this way of asking questions. I don't know about your parenting skills, but I do this a lot because I've learned from Jesus. My kids will ask me a question, and I'll follow up with what? A question. And they roll their eyes. You're the most horrible parents. Just, just answer the dang question, Dad. Just answer the question. Well, I have a question for you. 
you're just being difficult. And I wonder how many times people thought Jesus was being difficult. Because according to Doug Shop, he says this, Jesus was asked 183 questions in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four men who saw, who were eyewitnesses who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 183 questions. You know how many questions Jesus asked back in response? 307. So people are like, Jesus, just answer the question. Like, don't be difficult here. But why do we ask questions? Why did Jesus ask questions? I'll tell you why. Because every single one of us have, has a story. And even though Jesus was all-knowing, he wanted to know the individual story and the individual context. He wanted to know the story. I, I, I'm on Instagram because my kids are on Instagram. I'm on TikTok because my kids are on TikTok because I want to ruin their experience for them. And <laughs> funny thing, I did on TikTok, my kids are making these videos. Some of you are like, TikTok? I don't even know what that is. Come on. And uh, I get on TikTok, I post my, fo- my first video, and I get 16,000 hits. And my next one had 26,000 hits, and my kids are like, we're done. <laughs> my dad beat me. He's a 40-year-old man on TikTok. <laughs> okay, I, I need to stop. And... Uh, but he asked questions. And my, my thing about Instagram and social media, I love this, this uh, account called uh, Humans of New York. Have you ever seen it? It's fascinating. These everyday people have these incredible lives. There was one a couple weeks ago with this guy sharing his story. And it was, they, for 11 days, they posted his story. And every day I was like, oh, I want to know what's happening. It was like a television show. And then it hit me this week. Why are people in the middle of New York telling their most intimate secrets to an Instagram account. And then it hit me because somebody took the time to ask them. And maybe humans of New York Instagram account understands Jesus' ways a little bit more than us. They take the time to ask people their story. We're prompted, we ask questions. And why is that important? Because we live in a city like many cities where there's millions of people and yet we're all so alone. Somebody just wants to know that we care and how you worked next to that person. And I know you live down the street from that person. You see them all the time. But when was the last time you asked them a question that actually mattered? When was the last time somebody asked you a question that mattered? When I was a sophomore in college, I get a call from... um, from my high school best friend, he said, like, one of our friends died, passed away, and, and he took his own life. And he was a certified genius. He aced the ACT and SAT and every other test we took, and he never showed up to school. He would show, every once in a while he did, he would show up sometimes to our, to our trig class or to our physics course, and he would show up every time the last 10 minutes just to get the homework. And you know what this kid would do? He would get the homework on the board for our physics question of the day, and he would answer the question on the board before he left the classroom. He's just a genius. And he got into his dream school on the, West, on the East Coast. And by the middle of the sophomore year, he was alone. And he was hurting. Didn't want to live anymore. And he succumbed to the darkness of his sadness. And at his funeral, here's what he did. He had one request in his letter. He told his mom and dad, I want there to be a bench next to my grave because I don't want any of my friends to feel what I felt in being alone. I want them to know they can always have a place to go talk to somebody. 
And I remember crying that day and thinking, here he is about to take his life, and all he wanted was somebody just to ask him the right question. And there were hundreds of people passing him every day. And I wonder, can we stop passing by people, and when we're prompted, just ask a question? Engage with them a little bit? Jesus says in John 5, he says, it says this, Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. When you learn something, you take the time to pause, to take in information, and learn the context and information. So when Jesus learns, he took the time to assess the situation, to take in the information, and then number three, to guide people, we need to listen deeply. When we listen deeply is when we really learn. And people love to be listened to. I just told a story about humans of New York. People want to be listened to. They crave it. And why? Because there's actually very few people who interact with us and truly care for us and ask us those questions. James 1.19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why are we challenged with this? Because our natural inclination, when we're having conversation and we ask somebody a question, and when they begin to answer it, we are doing what? We are formulating our response. And we're not truly listening. And I know we don't like awkward silence in conversations, but maybe sometimes awkward silence is good because we're actually listening to the other person. See, Jesus listened, and then he acted And if Jesus listened, it tells us that those who love like Jesus can emulate this two-word phrase, love listens. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And Jesus asked the question, what do you want? He asked the man, what do you want? And God always works with our willingness and we're having conversations with people and we're asking where they're at spiritually and we're asking them about their life. When they begin to open up, they're allowing us into their life because they're engaging with us. And it doesn't mean everybody will engage with us. There are gonna be times people don't wanna talk to you and that's okay. But what about the people who do wanna talk and the people who do wanna engage a conversation? They're inviting you into their life, allowing you to guide them even if it's for the matter of minutes that we're having a conversation. Verse 6 through 9 says this, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The man's response is excuses. Well, I mean, I, I want to get well, uh, but I've come to this pool and I've been here for 38 years and, and I've tried and I've tried, but every time I go down, you know, somebody else beats me to it because the belief was that the angel would come to the pool and stir the water and the first one to get in the water after the angel stirred the water was the one who received healing. So here he is, an invalid, hand over hand, trying to get to the pool as the water stirs. And every day, somebody is beating him. He feels like he's losing. And because I'm a loser, why even try, God? Are you sure, Jesus? Here I am. I'm trying to. And then Jesus is like, come on, just get up. Take up your mat and go. And think about it. This guy was living in a particular paradigm his entire life of losing. How many times do we have that paradigm? Our marriage isn't going to get better. Our grandkids, they're just struggling. Our kids, our roommates, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to get into that college. I'm never going to be first chair in band. Whatever you are in the season of life, we can get into this paradigm of never and always. And 
Sometimes it just takes somebody asking a clear question to clear the fog of our mindset. Can we be people that help clear the fog? Like, what do you believe happens after life? And what if millions of people who have died said this about God? Would you believe? I know John talks about this all the time, but the reason why he talks about it all the time is because people want to engage this type of conversation. Are we willing to engage that same conversation? Now, I know it's not easy. Jesus, man, he was hounded. After the man got healed, you know what he did? He threw Jesus under the bus. He just got the healing after 38 years. But the healing took place on the Sabbath. And the religious people got mad at at Jesus. So they go to the man who gets healed. He's like, oh, that guy over there. And just kind of throws Jesus under the bus. Like the lady in the restaurant. This guy's trying to tell me about Jesus. You get thrown under the bus. But John 5, 17 says this. My father is always at his work to this very day. I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And I know people will look at you and say, what, you got a prompting? What's a prompting? What, why are you telling me this? And people might be frustrated or agitated. But if God prompts you, our job is to obey and to ask questions, to listen intently it's not about us. I mean, Luke 10 says this, whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. You see, it's not about you, and it's not about me at all. Love listens. Love asks questions. It's about the person in front of us and God's intention towards them. The last thing, step four, is we encourage people to the next step. You don't have to force the next step. Just prompt openness, thoughtfulness. That's why the follow-up question is, hey, after you read this book, the next step could be, hey, let's talk about the book. Or, or we're, we're going to be talking about this at our church at Gateway at, at Easter time. I'd love for you to come. That gives you about six to eight weeks to kind of read the book and, and just come join me in the conversation. What's the point of having the conversation if we're not going to engage people and give them the next step? God is wanting to use you, to use me, wherever, whatever campus you're on. And maybe you're watching online. Find a campus. Get the book. Let's, let's all engage the conversation to make a difference. And this is what Jesus, Jesus models for us. He gives them a next step. He didn't just heal them and say, see you later. He healed them and said, get up, take your mat, and you can go. Three steps. Our job is to give people a next step once we engage the conversation. Again, John 5 verse 8 says this. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Now you and I are not able to heal somebody. We're not able to get in front of people and perform miracles, although we can pray for people, but we're not the miracle worker. But we know who is the miracle worker. We know who is the one who can bring healing. We know is the one, the person who can sustain. We know the person who can bring health and wholeness to somebody. That's our job. Our job is to is to not realize their need for God. We can't make love people love God. 
but we can live for God in such a way that it is enticing and inspiring that you, you would go beyond yourself to make a difference in somebody's life. And watch what God does. And when our people, our friends, our networks of people realize this need for God, they receive this grace and this mercy and this beautiful relationship that's beyond us. So let me ask you something. Who helped you along in your spiritual journey? Who helped you along maybe to find your way at Gateway or maybe a previous church? Who helped you understand? Who asked you the questions? Who was prompted to talk to you? Get that name in your mind. Be thankful for that person and understand that God loved you enough to bring that person into your life. And now God loves your friends and your network enough to bring you into their life. It's a gift that keeps on giving. We're prompted by God to make a difference in people and to have conversations. We ask questions. We listen intently and full of love. And we help people find their next step. That is what we're to do. So with all that in mind, will you watch this video with me? Things were more beautiful than I could ever imagine. It was past anything that I would believe that it would be like. The colors were so alive that the most beautiful day on earth is just a reflection of those colors. The greens were greener, the yellows, the golds, the blues, everything reminded me that earth is a reflection of heaven, but heaven is perfection. So one of the commonalities of near-death experiences is they experience beauty in new dimensions of time and space. Flowers, trees, mountains, forests, in colors more vibrant than we can imagine. And they are not limited in their experience of beauty like we are here. About 52% of people having a near-death experience describe beauty in this heavenly realm that is beyond anything on Earth, things that are absolutely spectacular. It seemed like everything there was glad I was there. The trees were glad I was there. The flowers were glad I was there. The water was glad I was there. Everything was alive. There was nothing dead, and everything was intelligent. Everything was far more intense. The colors, the aromas, the flowers were such that I felt that I could not only see them, but I understood them. Gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives, but it's beyond words. So with all in our hearts about people who have impacted us, how are we going to impact others And this challenge? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for my friends. I thank you um, for how you love them enough that you are bringing people into their lives or have brought people into their lives to make a difference in them. And God, then, then I thank you that we get the awesome responsibility. And sometimes it can feel like that to now be that person for somebody else, to be prompted by your Holy Spirit, to engage with a couple of questions, to listen with a heart that loves, and to not be afraid to help them with their next step. We thank you for your challenge. We thank you for wisdom that comes with talking to people about their spiritual life. And we thank you that you are already going before us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.